If this is your first Sabbath with us, then I want to introduce just a little bit what we are doing. Uh, we have the privilege of having one of the authors of this quarter's lesson as a member of the Spencerville Church, uh, Frank Hosel. And so Frank has agreed to uh, meet with us and to go through these lessons. And as long as we are in this context, in this situation, uh, where he's grounded because of, of the general conference putting a restriction on travel and, and I'm grounded here in Silver Spring, Maryland, we are going to meet together and discuss these lessons. And, and hopefully they'll be a blessing to you. We've been praying for that, that they are a blessing uh, to you as we, as we study and uh, so, so follow along. Remember, this is uh, in addition to your own personal study. Uh, so get out your own Bible, get out your own quarterly and study for yourself. And if you have a group of people that you're meeting with on Zoom to study the quarterly together, we would encourage that as well. Uh, we want to be physically distanced, but not socially distanced from one another. And so we encourage you to, uh, to study with each other also in that context. Uh, we are today uh, beginning the lesson of the origin and nature of the Bible. This is lesson two, and it is for the study of April 4 through April 10, the origin and the nature of the Bible. By the way, if you don't yet have the companion book for this, uh, How to Interpret Scripture, you can go online at Amazon or the Adventist Book Center. You can click on the link that's on our Facebook page, and you can uh, pick that up and has insights that, that go beyond what are actually in this uh, lesson as well. And I would also encourage you, if you don't have even a quarterly and you don't have a way to get a quarterly, if you're a member of this church, even if you're not a member of this church, call us. And if we have some, we'll be happy to send you one uh, or email us and we'd be happy to send you one. Or uh, you can go online and there's a digital version of the quarterly that you can get as well. And if you... Just Google, go to the Google machine and type in Adventist Sabbath School Quarterly and it should take you to the place where you can get it. I don't know the actual website. I apologize for that. I'm sure that Jason and can put that link in place somewhere. But we're going to study today. We're going to talk about the origin and the nature of the Bible. And again, I'm so grateful, Frank, to have you here with us. And I'm going to ask you, uh, Frank, to lead us in a word of prayer as sure. we begin this study. Dear Jesus, we invite your presence now as we think about your word, as we reflect on how your word was written, and uh, we ask that we will better understand that process of revelation and inspiration and what it means for the authority of the Bible and for our study of the word. And so we ask for your presence now, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Frank, as we did last week, we are going to just have a conversation. Yes. And so uh, as we go through uh, where certain things hit us, we'll, we'll dive a little That's deeper. Fine. That's fine. And, and feel free to stop me and say... Uh, and I don't have all the answers uh, that's, to some that's of a, your questions, but we'll see. He, he doesn't have all the answers, but he has a, he has a few more than I do, so I'm glad to, uh, <laughs> to have him here with us. Um, the origin and the nature of the Bible... This is such an important topic because there's so much variance, um, not within religions, but even within uh, Christianity, oh, yes. within oh, Protestantism. Yes. Yes. And, and so, so un 
unpack this a little bit more. Right at the very beginning, it says, the way we see and understand the origin and nature of Scripture greatly impacts the role that the Bible plays in our lives and in the church at large. Can you speak more to this and, and, and maybe even give some examples or context to that statement? Yeah, yeah. The way you look at the Bible significantly influences and shapes the way you use the Bible, you read the Bible, you interpret the Bible, and you apply the Bible to your lives. And I have studied that uh, in my dissertation where I investigated uh, the use, the role and use of scripture in theology. Mm -hmm. How come that everybody claims to go by the Bible and yet they come to significant different conclusions? And I noticed that uh, to a significant part, the understanding of the origin of the Bible, the inspiration and the revelation process, shapes your understanding of the role of, of Scripture in theology. Mm -hmm. And uh, see, if, if um, in the liberal theological realm, for those... Um, Define liberal theological realm, liberal, because liberal and conservative liberal are catchphrases. Liberal is a, is a catchphrase that we often use without thinking, and it's not helpful, I, I agree. But in a self-definition of a person who is liberal is that he is free of any authority. He is liberal means free. And he doesn't accept any external authority. And, and therefore, um, uh, when we talk about liberal theology, yeah. we usually uh, have in mind people who come from that perspective, so who approach the Bible as if the Bible were um, a human book. They, they, as any other book. They exegete the Bible, but they don't allow the Bible to exegete their lives. They're, the Bible doesn't have the authority. Well, that, that is one thing, that but one uh, you know, the Bible claims, if, if you read the Bible yeah. and, and you take the Bible as, as it reads, you, you find several statements that claim that the biblical writers did not invent that for themselves. Yes. They, they were inspired, they were led by, by, by God. Now, in, in, in the liberal mindset, this, uh, this setting is not possible because they have a closed worldview where only imminent uh, causes and effects can do something, but mm. no transcendental external influence is possible on the biblical writers. Yeah, yeah. So if you come from a perspective that is naturalistic, where everything is just within history, then you need to find reasons and, and, and explanations why these things came about and why this was written. And you exclude from, in principle, in general, any external um, possibility that God could intervene, yeah. that a miracle could take place, yeah. or anything like that. So you would have to find explanations on a natural level. Okay. And uh, so if, if you start on that level, then of course there is no supernatural uh, inspiration yeah, or yeah. revelation of God. So uh, it's uh, a human book mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. writers came up with some creative ideas about God and nature and man, mm -hmm. and they wrote it down. And because you have different human writers and they were not all guided by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. uh, it's to be expected that you have um, diversity yeah. and a pluralism 
uh, within the book itself that contradicts each other. And they would say all truths are equal then on and that And everything is, is, yes, and, uh, and the Bible would lose its role to be an authoritative guide for our thinking and our beliefs and, and, uh, and, and our lives. I didn't warn you that I was going to ask you this question, but, but can you give me an example of how this has potentially creeped into our church in some ways? <clears throat> this liberal thinking, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, I don't want to, I want to make sure because right now you can be a liberal in church simply by having a belief on one particular topic versus, sure, you know, sure. or, or I could be a liberal because I wear a wedding ring or, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about, yes, liberal from what you just described, uh, that, that, that hermeneutic of, of that the Bible's not the authority. Yeah. Because I think we can sometimes look outside and say, well, that doesn't impact me, but, but don't you think that it, it has crept in? Yes, we, we're, we are not immune from, from those uh, trends outside. Yeah. And what we see in the outside world uh, sooner or later will also affect us in, in the Adventist church. Where, where you might be able to see that, for instance, is that for some people, it is really difficult to accept the biblical statement on creation, let's say. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would, would not allow a supernatural creation, but mm -hmm. uh, would allow for very long periods of time. We are talking about millions and millions of years. Yeah. That would lead to the creation of life on this planet, and that's that naturalistic thinking. And like that's you were this, talking. this naturalistic. You don't need a, a supernatural uh, creator God who creates uh, everything, but you, within the confines of uh, the natural world, you'll find mechanisms to explain how things came about. Yeah, and that's what Darwin and others uh, have tried to do, and and this type of thinking has crept into some. Uh, in some Adventist circles. And, and the danger with this, correct me if I'm wrong, is, part, is, is that those folk will say, well, I worship the same God you do. I believe in the same, but ultimately they're saying, but I get to say what's authority and what's not of scripture. And ultimately it's the person, the interpreter <laughs> yeah. uh, himself or herself who decides what is acceptable and what, what not. is not. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. The, the Bible has lost And then that. that can start to have a whole, a whole lot impact on your all other aspects yes, of your life. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good. Keep going, sorry. We, 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 we kind of, so, so, so this is why it's so important for us to understand the, the origin of scripture. Because some people may say, well, I don't really think this is an important chapter for me or whatever, but, but because it actually does impact every aspect of our yeah, life. No, it's a very important, let, let, me, let me use an illustration. Okay. Uh, uh, I'd like to say that that issue and the issue that is connected with that, uh, the interpretation of scripture, is like a watershed in theology. Now, I don't know whether you are familiar with what a watershed is, but uh, from where I come from... I was going to say, I know in, what I think a watershed is, but I don't know if it's the same as in, in Germany. <laughs> in, 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 Europe, in, in Europe, in Germany, where I come from... Uh, if you go on the uh, German Autobahn, the yeah. famous Autobahn, and yeah. you drive real fast there, just south of Munich, toward Lake Constance, you'll come in a very beautiful area with rolling hills. 
And on that sign at the city of Wangen, actually, you, you see a sign, European Watershed. It is that area that decides where all the rivers and creeks in Europe will flow. They will either flow into the river Danube, mm -hmm. and with the Danube will end up in the Black Sea, mm -hmm. or the rivers will flow in a different direction and will flow into the river Rhine, and with the Rhine into the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. And they are, they, are, they are miles apart. Yeah. And if you, if you uh, go to that area where you have that European watershed, uh, it's, it's not the high mountains of the Alps. Yeah. It's, it's a very pleasant rolling hills. But no matter how high the mountains become later on, the water still flows either into the Black Sea or into the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. And to, to us as a church, and I think that's why uh, the issue of inspiration is so hotly debated, even within our uh, own ranks, mm -hmm. is because it's so foundational, yeah. because it influences the whole flow of our theology yeah. and where we eventually will come up. It yeah. doesn't mean that everybody who starts out that is all extreme to the, uh, to the end, yeah. but if you would follow that consistently, You'll it will lead you this sea. way or that way, yeah. and we have to be aware of that. And so for that reason, I think it is important that we are knowledgeable about some of the issues that are connected with that whole concept of revelation and inspiration, because it's foundational to uh, our understanding of what scripture is mm -hmm. and how we should approach it and, and uh, whether it has authority in the theological questions or not. Now let's talk, you wrote about the Holy Spirit in the Sabbath school lesson about three years ago, two years ago? Something like that, yeah. Because um, one of the dynamics of, of the origin and the interpretation of the Bible is that, is that the Holy Spirit plays a role in the origin, but the Holy Spirit also plays a role in inter interpretation, right? And so um, can this type of thinking be true? We, we can't have that perspective in all, uh, if, we, if we say that, the, that, that everything is literal, then why do we need the Holy Spirit to give us help in understanding or interpreting, right? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah. In the context of verbal versus literal, don't, doesn't one lend itself more to the openness of the Holy Spirit or not? Or? Well, uh, I know I'm taking you, I didn't, I didn't prep no, you for no, these no, questions. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine. Uh, you're touching on, on uh, very important things, but uh, very different things. Okay, so, so, so break it down maybe for me. Let's, Sometimes let's, I don't know what my own brain is saying. <laughs> uh, let, let's maybe start with a very uh, fundamental, easy uh, way to explain the discussion that we face even in the church yeah. today. So when we talk about um, inspiration of scripture, we, um, we find that there are different positions out there. Mm -hmm even in our church. Um, the more extreme position is that you find people who come strictly from a scientific naturalistic uh, perspective who deny any supernatural intervention of God mm -hmm. and thus there is no divine inspiration, there is no divine revelation mm -hmm. that would uh, convey any information from God to human beings. So uh, then uh, what is the Bible? The Bible is at best uh, 
an inspiring book, but mm. it's not inspired. Mm. Mm. So it might be inspiring, like, uh, and the biblical writers might be... Uh, like, in, oh, that's a pretty poem. Like a pretty poem from Shakespeare yeah, or yeah. from... Uh, or Mozart was inspired, or maybe even Luther or some yeah, other, yeah, you yeah. know. But it's not uh, that God has used prophets and writers uh, for his purpose to convey information to us that are important. So if... Uh, if that is one extreme, mm -hmm. and I have actually unfolded that a little bit, or we have unfolded that a little bit in, in that companion book uh, on chapter two, where we talk about different views of inspiration okay. uh, more fully. Now, as a reaction to that liberal um, perspective on the one side, mm -hmm. you find a very rigorous uh, reaction on the conservative side, so to speak. Uh, that often is called verbal inspiration. Mm -hmm. So you have no inspiration here, that's the classical liberal mm -hmm. perspective. And then you have a verbal inspiration. Verbal often is understood, especially by, its, by those who, 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 who criticize that, uh, to mean uh, a me mechanical way of inspiring the words of scripture, mm -hmm. uh, where there is no freedom on the human part, but God predetermined, predestined yeah. uh, the very words that were used in writing down uh, the biblical message. Yeah. So you find that especially in Calvinistic yeah. uh, theology that has this, uh, this predestination idea. Let me pause you right there because I, I misspoke earlier. I meant verbal does not lend itself to the Holy Spirit as much. I was thinking thought inspiration, but I think you're going there. Yeah, but I just want to make I'm, sure that I'm, people didn't think I was. I was no, 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 no. So um, if, if you have that inspirational uh, understanding of the yeah, Bible, yeah. then uh, every single word you know, is unchangeable and it, it cannot be changed and is absolutely true. Does anybody and is truly inerrant. live that way? Pardon me? Does anyone truly live that way? Well, you have several... Um, Even the people that I know that, that claim verbal inspiration, I don't think that they send their women out to sit on rocks during their yeah. menstrual cycle. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's very interesting to me. You have the uh, Evangelical Theological Society. Yeah. It's a society that especially the conservative evangelicals uh, have formed. And there you have to sign, actually, a statement, among other things, that affirms the inerrancy of scripture. Now within the Evangelical Theological Society, in recent years they had a heated debate about um, the creation story uh, in, uh, in Genesis. Yeah. And you have several evangelicals who have signed the inerrancy of scripture who claim that uh, there are long ages. Of history, uh, not a day. It, it's, it's not to be taken literal. Yeah. And that to me is the strangest thing. Yeah, so, contradiction so, so much. It just tells you that there are other factors at play than just, um, just reading the Bible yeah. that influence your interpretation of the Bible. So you have no inspiration. You have a mechanical dictation yeah. model that dictates everything where the uh, biblical writer is basically uh, the pen yeah. uh, of, of, uh, of God. And then you have a third uh, model that is more like a thought model where people say the thoughts are inspired, not the words. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And there is some truth to that. Uh, if God uh, reveals something, he reveals that to your thoughts. Yeah. And the problem with that is that uh, several people who um, propose that thought model um, also say that, um, well, everything human is uh, fallible. Yeah, and uh, when the prophet is, uh, uh, is, is writing down the things uh, mm -hmm. that were in his thought, he is just a human being and many mistakes and errors could have crept in in the process. And so the product, the end product, is not really reliable mm -hmm. and trustworthy uh, after all. Now, the interesting thing is if you, um, if you take the biblical uh, text, there is something that uh, affects the thought. But if you go to 2 Timothy 3, <coughs> verse 16, um, <clears throat> it says, um, yeah, I read how it is not written in order to draw our attention to, okay. to the thing. Okay. So Paul speaks about scripture and the inspiration of scripture, that, uh, but he doesn't say all thoughts are breathed out by God. All thoughts are inspired. He says all scripture is breathed out. Hmm. All scripture is inspired. So for the biblical writers, there is a dimension that has a verbal aspect to it, the words. Why? Well, this is only... Uh, this is only to be expected because you would not know anything about your thoughts yeah. if you could not express them in your words. So your words give access to the thoughts you have. Yeah. Now, if your words are deceiving, if your words are not trustworthy, then you might have the most brilliant thoughts and they are of no good use. So that's why some people have come up even with uh, another model that I think is more comprehensive. Yeah, what I'm hearing now is this is new to me. This is like a blended. And, and that is because the challenge is that you have these different uh, models and, and even terminology and not everybody uses them the same way. Yeah. And that is so confusing. But if we need to keep that uh, in, in, in perspective, there are some people who call um, that process plenary inspiration. Mm. And plenary meaning completely, totally, everything. So it's the thoughts that are inspired, and also inspiration has an effect on the words. They wrote it in their own manner and tongue, but it's still inspired. Exactly. So um, not in the sense that it's mechanically dictated, yeah. as you would have in, in some verbal uh, inspiration theories. I've studied that in my dissertation, and I, I have to be honest, you know, there are many who talk about verbal inspiration, but uh, they would all qualify that yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. different ways. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and during um, the protest, the area after Martin Luther, we had an area era in, 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 uh, in, in church history that's called the, the Protestant Orthodoxy, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you had Orthodox uh, Protestant theologians who would uh, be more systematic and detailed in their explanations of the Protestant faith, and they would come up with theories of inspiration, and mm -hmm. I found a handful of them. 
uh, some of them would claim that even the vowel points in the Hebrew text were inspired by God. Mm. Now, that, that's, that's completely wrong. Mm -hmm. We know that they came into existence very late. Yeah, they were later in and, time. Uh, but, but that's the type of thinking that predetermines everything in the text, even to the vowel points, yeah. and uh, where we say no. So we would, we, as Adventists, we, we, we would say, yes, the thoughts are inspired. And inspiration also has an effect on the words. See, not in the sense that God dictates them, not in the sense that the human factor is, is completely ignored. The person is free to choose his own words. And yet God supervises the process in his own way well, it's the, without forcing. Isn't it because the person's inspired, right? I mean, Yes, because the person is inspired and, and, and God makes sure that the words that the person uses is, and this is the word that I prefer. I don't like to talk about inerrancy or um, infallibility. I mean, our fundamental belief says that the Bible is infallible yeah. and that's a, a perfectly good word. But uh, the biblical terminology that really is closer to what we are talking about is the trustworthiness of Scripture, the reliability of the Scripture. That is the focus of the biblical writers. The biblical writers want to convey that what they communicate to us is trustworthy and reliable. And I think that's the faith factor that we uh, should use the best way. <laughs> so if we were talking to a biblical writer and we say, is this an error or infallible, they would say uh, it's trustworthy, it's from God, right? Uh, <laughs> That's what you're saying. Yes, they, they, because that, that is really where the rubber meets the road. You know? yeah. Did you trust that what you read in, Bi in the Bible is, is reliable, is trustworthy, that you can put your life on? You say that this is what Adventists teach, but, but Frank, I think you explained it to me more clearly than I heard, and I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> at, I'm at a doctor level now going through things, and, and, and because this plenary idea, because just a confession, there's been times, you know, because you've heard me preach, I like to sometimes draw a word out, you know, this last Sabbath I preached mm -hmm. and I talked about the mm -hmm. word paradesos and how it's only used one time in mm -hmm. all four mm -hmm. Gospels, mm -hmm. and it's there at the cross, and Jesus didn't use kingdom, and he didn't use mm -hmm. heaven, and, or or Luke didn't use kingdom or heaven to say what Jesus was saying. He used paradesos, you know, and the significance mm -hmm, of that of mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. of that text. But as an Adventist, sometimes I've wondered: Am I putting too much emphasis on the word, and am I getting too close to verbal? And I felt I, I won't, don't want to use the word guilt because I don't think I've had a ton of guilt about it. But I've had pause at times to do that because I think I was taught so much that it is only thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is only thought. And this embraces me yes. being able to appreciate the words and also uh, still exactly. not saying that it's, that it's so predestination I'm, type of Calvinistic exactly. thinking. Exactly, and, and, and we need to be sure that we differentiate that and see, um, and not, not be caught in, in just terminology that other people use yeah, yeah. To, 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 to be faithful to what the Bible really says. And yes, there is thoughts. Yes, God inspires our thoughts. N no question about it. But how would you know about yeah. thoughts? You know about thoughts only through the words that the prophet uses to convey those thoughts. Now, in, in, um, in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, you have a beautiful illustration for that. 
where, where God says, I know, the I know what thoughts I have about you. Yeah. Now, wonderful, but how do I know what thoughts he has? He has to express his thoughts in words. And then he says it. And then he says it. <laughs> yeah. And that makes the thought so beautiful. And that's what we have in the Bible, because yeah. words express thoughts, and we trust that the words that the biblical writers used in their freedom, in their style, in their unique culture, culture faithfully and trustworthily yeah. uh, uh, Tell us what, what God wanted to communicate. You've just given me some freedom in this. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I do want to point out, and I want you to, to maybe speak to this. There's so many different translations of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I both have here the ESV. Mm -hmm. That's become a more popular one amongst mm -hmm. theologians, including in Adventism, right? In the lesson, they have the New King James Version. Yes. And on that Scripture in... Uh, it talks about how in Second Peter, of course, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But in ours, it says something different. How, do, how, do, how does the person sitting in the pew that's not spending a bunch of time looking at the different levels in the Greek? Because, I mean, if you read it there in the, in the if you want to read it for us in the, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the ESV. Yeah. Well, the word that is, the, the, the idea that is used there in, in, in Second Peter um, is um, that the writers are carried along. <laughs> the carried along in, in the ESV sounds more to me like that control, like they're just caught up and they don't have any, the move to me sound more like, does that make well, sense? Well, it, 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 the, the, the emphasis that is given is not so much on that, that they didn't have any freedom anymore, yeah. but that God is the force, the, the force driving behind force it. behind it. It's like a ship, a sailboat, and you have the wind, and the wind drives, carries the sailboat yeah. uh, when it blows into the, the sail, you know? And that's how God uses um, the Holy Spirit to carry forward something in the prophet that he himself would never be able to come up with on his own. Yeah. And obviously it makes scripture too choppy, but it would always be, if we could, you know, God, uh, holy men of God spoke as they were compelled through the force and the conviction and the power of God, to, you know, by the Holy Spirit, like all of that, you couldn't, you couldn't make it that. But, but what I'm saying is in some texts, depending on the vert, you know, you read certain things in the, in the King James and they're not quite as accurate as if you read them in another. And yeah. if you read some of the things in the NIV, they're not quite as, and, and, and there's just, I think this is where some of the confusion comes along even yeah. for the average member. Well, maybe another Bible passage can help us to understand that. Because really, the challenge we have is we are grappling with something that the Bible writers really do not explain how it works. Yeah. You know, we would like to work, we would like to know, now how does that work, that God respects the freedom, mm -hmm. the, 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 the biblical writer is free to choose his own words and write his own style, and yet he, he makes sure that it's not misleading, mm -hmm. that, that it's trustworthy. The, how does that work together, you know? And we don't quite understand. Now, there is one passage in the Bible that illustrates uh, that phenomenon 
a little bit. It doesn't explain it everything, but it, it gives a little hint in that direction. And we find that in Exodus, uh, second, in Exodus 4, chapter 4, where we have that uh, well-known situation where Moses is asked by God to go to the Pharaoh and speak. Mm -hmm. And Moses then, of course, you know, is reluctant and mm -hmm. he says, I have a heavy tongue and I, I cannot really talk and he, he, uh, he's not willing speech, to go. Yeah. And then God is, is patient enough and he says, well, uh, verse uh, 11, who has made man's mouth, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he says in verse 12, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what, you what you shall speak. And then he says, well, I have a heavy tongue. And then God goes in verse 15 and says this. And this is very interesting, I think. He says, you he says take your brother Aaron. Yeah, it's not your Aaron, your brother. And, and, and he shall speak for you. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you, Moses, shall speak to him, Aaron, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be... This is God, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Mm -hmm. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Mm -hmm. Now, so here's Moses, here's Aaron, yeah. here's God. Moses tells Aaron what to say. And then Aaron speaks in his words. Because God's also telling Aaron what to say. And, and God tells Moses what to say. And God is also with Aaron. Yeah. But Aaron uses his own words. And, and that's how I envision the whole thing. So Moses tells Aaron, Aaron, this is what God told me. Please tell that to, to the people and to Pharaoh. And Aaron says, okay, I got you. And he starts speaking. And he uses his own words. Mm -hmm. And Moses sits there and says, yes, this is exactly what they need to hear. But it was not the words of Moses. It was the words of Aaron. Yeah. And yet, God supervised the whole process. Yeah, because he says, I'll be with you and, and with Aaron. With both. With both. And so that makes sure that in the end, even though there is freedom to choose the words, mm -hmm. the, the words are not misleading. The words are not telling a different story yeah. from what he wanted to, uh, Pharaoh and the people to know. That's good. Uh, I want us to jump to now. Um, we kind of covered the divine authorship, but you you guys spent some time on why God had us write it down, um, and it's really about so that it could be passed on, right? That's that's the well. For one thing, you know, if you have something in written. It's more permanent. Yeah. It's more difficult to be changed. It can be accessed in a far wider setting than just an oral message. Yeah. Do we, do we have, so to be the liberal theologian for a second, who would say, well, we don't have record of, of that time between Adam all the way till when Moses supposedly wrote, which I believe Moses did write, I'm using mm -hmm, supposedly mm -hmm, in their context. Mm -hmm. What is, that was all verbal 
dictation time, right? Or, or do we believe that Moses, because I've heard it that, that Moses, these stories were passed down to generation to generation, you know, and so then I've heard some theologians say, well, it's like a game of telephone. That's why we can't really trust those. Yeah. Well, um, sure. Every... Because every, there's not the written. I'm just, I'm just saying that because you guys put a lot of value on the, on the, the importance of the written. And so I don't mean to be... Again, no, I'm just, no, 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 no. This no, is no. a question that... No, that obviously, uh, God, when he uh, communicated with Adam... He communicated with him uh, verbally, yeah, yeah. and he did so with, uh, with the patriarchs uh, throughout yeah. history. But the point came where God himself, and we have these passages in, in Exodus, uh, gave specific command to write down things that he um, communicated to Moses. And I think that, Mo that, that Moses received insights from God, even yeah. in terms of the creation of the world, even though Moses was not present there personally. Do we have any records prior to uh, Moses writing Genesis? Well, well another, another old book is the book of Job. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some people think that might be even the oldest book in the, in the, in the Bible. Well, there are the, extra-biblical literature that, like, speaks of a flood there are there are other yeah. extra biblical uh, references that also mention uh, flood stories that's yeah. true but uh, in terms of biblical yeah. material uh, Moses perhaps would be the oldest yeah. I just it just the, the reason I say that is just because there is that large chunk of scripture which is like that foundational I've always thought that you know you could teach every doctrine of our church out mm -hmm. of basically Genesis, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, there's mm -hmm. so much there uh, theologically. Uh, and, and, and of course, I believe it. I'm just, I'm going back to my Old Testament class with uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Mm -hmm. Hosel and, and the, what, what are the, the G, the, the D, or yeah. <laughs> all the, all the, Shot ADP, yeah, yeah the, all the, mm -hmm. all the letters of the, of the different things. And one of their arguments is, well, we don't have, this is, you know, the, you know, from, from, from a certain point on, we have, mm -hmm. but that Genesis story is not is not written in mm -hmm. that same way. So mm -hmm. it's just intriguing to me. Um, and I just want to see what there there was some further insight on that. I want to get to. I love on it's on Wednesday, mm -hmm. April eighth, the parallel between Christ and Scripture, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I love the parallel that y'all used uh, between the Word of God who became flesh and the written Word of God. Um, and you write, just as Jesus was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, yet born of a woman, Holy Scripture also is of supernatural origin, yet delivered through human beings. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ became a man in time and space. He lived during a specific time in a specific place, yet he still transcends time and space. That's right. And the Word of God does as well. Yes. And, and discuss the importance of this parallel and, and the impact it can have on... On, on our, on our con modern context. Yes. I, I think it's a fascinating um, parallel. Ellen, Ellen White, in fact, makes a similar comparison between Scripture and uh, Jesus Christ and points out that, and that's, that's really what triggered my, my thinking on this. What I like about this parallel is that it shows that the Bible and Jesus, for that matter, is historically, the Bible is historically constituted. It, 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 uh, it happened 
in a specific time, at a specific place, in a specific culture. We don't deny that. Mm -hmm. That makes it unique. Mm -hmm. It doesn't limit the Bible or Jesus to that particular culture and time. Just as um, Jesus was uh, baptized in the Jordan yeah. River and not in the Mississippi, yeah. just as Jesus was born in Bethlehem and not in Tokyo or in New York, mm -hmm. just as Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem and, and not in another city, Mm -hmm. This does not limit him to be the savior of the world. Mm -hmm. So he is the savior for the people in New York and in Tokyo and uh, in India and, and around the globe. Mm -hmm. and, and the same with the Bible. The Bible was given at a specific time, the specific culture, uh, specific places, but that does not limit the effect the Bible has on those who read scripture around the world. Why? Because God gave us that word, and he is active in and through the word. Now, Jesus was truly human. Yeah. But he wanted to be acknowledged as who he truly is, the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And we find the same dynamic in the Bible. If you look at the Bible, you find it's a, it's a human... The words are human words, mm -hmm, you know, it's mm -hmm. not a heavenly Esperanto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes the Bible sounds very human. Yeah. But it really wants to be acknowledged for something else. It, 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 it doesn't want to be just a human book. It wants to be the word of God, what it really is. Yeah. And if you go to um, uh, First Thessalonians in the New Testament, this is the attitude that I see here. Uh, with the New Testament believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think it is. Um, let's see here. Uh, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, mm -hmm but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And, and so I, I think we have the same thing with the Bible. It, it's written by human beings, yes, but it wants to be accepted as the word of God, mm -hmm. what it really is. Mm -hmm. Now, there's an important distinction and difference between Jesus and the Bible. Mm -hmm. we, God became human in the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. God did not become a book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we do not venerate a book. Yeah, yeah. But we, uh, we worship Jesus. Yeah. And uh, so um, it's not that the book in and of itself is um, an object of worship, but it points us to Jesus, who is our only Savior. I, let, let me... Uh... I'm trying to think how much I want to un, un, unpack that, if I want to unpack that right now. Because I do want to, I want to go there on that aspect of not venerating the book, but we venerate the Savior. Because you and I off camera were talking, and I was telling you, in, in the teacher's notes, uh, there is a note regarding the attitude in regards to Scripture about how we carry it, how we hold it, yes. where we set it down. Yes. Uh, 
and and you were sharing with me that this is very that this is this is more of a of maybe a, a, a American a United States mindset somewhat. And I was telling you the story of of how in some ways that impacted me though when I was a kid. My parents, I would say, were were what you would call cultural Adventists. They're much more committed now. But as a kid, we didn't have family worship really in the house. We didn't spend a lot of time reading the Bible. We, you know, went to church once a month, and you know, we didn't study our Sabbath school. These types of things. But if I sat something on the Bible, I can't even do it. Like right now, <laughs> even if I want to do it as an illustration, if I sat something on the Bible, my parents were quick to say, "We don't put anything on the Bible." That's right. If the Bible was on the ground, no, you don't no, leave the no, Bible no, on the ground. No. You you. And you, we should not do that. And you pick it up. And, and so there was an aspect of it that, and some people treat the Bible that way, but, but let's talk about them stopping there. They venerate the exactly. book. Exactly. Let's talk about this, when we stop there and the, the danger of that. Well, it, it's, not, it's not wrong to be respectful of the word. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong to be respectful of the Bible, and we should treat it like that. Absolutely, yes. Because it is divine origin. If, exactly, and we, we express our respect for that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it should not be just limited to that, and it should not end there. Yeah. Because um, what good is it that if I have that respect for the book, if I'm not willing to live by the book? Yeah. If I'm not allowing that book to change my life? Yeah. So um, then this whole veneration or this whole respectful treatment of the object quickly can turn into some legalistic mentality yeah. where the act of, uh, of treating the Bible differently becomes more important than what the Bible wants to do with me. And I think we have to allow, we, we should, we should all, always be respectful in the way we treat the Bible, in the way we talk about the Bible, so that people, when they hear us, see that we appreciate the Word, that the Word is meaningful in our own lives, that it had an impact on our own lives. But then we should allow the Word to also change my life. And, and you know, if, if I don't become a more loving person, if I don't become um, a person who is more patient, then I can um, put the Bible on top of everything. And if I'm impatient, you know, I'm, I'm ignoring the very essence of, of the I, Christian life. I put the Bible on things, and then if someone puts it on top, I scream at them. <laughs> and I say, yes. you're, not a, you're not doing right. You know, you're dishonoring God's word. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not sh I'm showing respect for the book as a book, but not for the God in the book by dishonoring yes, that person, yes, yeah, right? Not yeah, living yeah, by that principle. Yeah, yeah. I just think that's so important for us because there are so many Bibles in the United States. I mean, there's all these studies about how many Bibles, you know, on average, I think like three or four Bibles per household mm -hmm, in the United mm -hmm, States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it's a holy book, you know, it's, it's dusted, like a table is <laughs> dusted. Yeah, that but people... People know the Bible from the outside, but not from the but inside. But not from the inside, and 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 and, and we, we have to understand that the that all of this it was inspired, that came about ultimately so that we would open it and study it. Now here's a here's an important difference. You know, we believe that uh, the biblical books were inspired. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible writers tell us. Mm -hmm. But the translations of the Bible 
that we use in English today. They are not inspired. Go there, go there. Go, go deeper there because so, I get letters on this no, condemning me for not preaching out of works King James. on the original or, documents, not on the process of transmission. Now, God, in his sovereignty and providence, has made sure that the Bible has been transmitted the canon's in, been. In, a, in, a, in a most faithful way. And there are many different translations out there, and some are better than others. Mm -hmm. But the translations are not inspired. Inspired is the original uh, that God gave. And then you have people who translate from the originals into different languages. Yeah. Uh, even to G in Jesus' times, we had translations like the Septuagint. Yeah, I was going to say, Jesus is obviously into, quoting, into, into Greek. Obviously quoting Septuagint rather than the original Hebrew and, instruments. Box. And every translation, as every translator knows, is a, a little bit of interpretation. And it's not just exactly the same as the original. And there, that's why we need to study carefully and preferably even in the original languages yeah. if, you, if you have access to that, or use a Bible translation that is faithful and more literal in its, yeah. in its reading. But we need to be, uh, we need to be uh, knowledgeable that it's not the translation that is inspired. Isn't venerating a, or holding up to one translation, one translation only, another way of just venerating it as a book rather than... There is might that danger that, that there is a danger there. I don't yes. want to say that just because someone no fully, but now there are, there are some Bible translations that are better and more faithful to to speak, speak to that. And what would you what I mean? You and I have an ESV. What's your well? Uh, that that is a good one. I mean the the King James version is a good good one too, but it's not an inspired version. Yeah. And anybody who treats the King James or the New King James Version as that is, is doing the Bible a, a, a disservice. A disservice, you know. Um, that this is not what, what is there. Uh, another New American Standard Bible is, uh, has been a faithful Bible translation as well in mm -hmm. English, and you have many others. In German, do they have? Uh... In German, you know, the, the King James version in German would be the Luther Bible. Okay. And that has gone through several editions. Okay. Just like the King James and New King James, we have even more in uh, revisions with the Luther Bible. But uh, there are other uh, German uh, Bible translations like uh, the Elberfelder uh, or Schlatter or others. So it's not just our culture that struggles with no, this? No, 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 no. You have that in, 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 in many different languages. Okay. And we need to be, um, yeah, we need to be aware that the Bible was not written in English and it was not written in German or in French. This is, this is, this is the, the, the American <laughs> as, ego. <laughs> as, as much as we like the King James Version, you know, as, as, as good as it is. But uh, it's, it's not as good as the original. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I, I have a hard time reading King James. I, I like the new King James, but I have a hard time reading the <laughs> King James uh, sometimes. I had a professor in seminary that, that said uh, that new King James was his least favorite Bible because he said it has all the errors of the King James with none of the beauty. <laughs> that's yeah, well, what that was his. Yeah, because it has shaped the whole uh, language. Yeah. Uh, of the English-speaking world. To, to, we have the same with Luther in, uh, in Germany. It has shaped the way the Germans speak. And so some of the things are best expressed the way he has done it. And that's just ingrained in that's our... That's ingrained in uh, people's uh, minds. Yeah. 
let's 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 close this by really applying this. Um, you have here in the teacher's thing the final last page. I put a star by it. To be faithful to Scripture is not the same as being faithful to my own favorite ideas about the Bible. Yeah. In the latter case, I'd be faithful only to myself. Rather, faithfulness to Scripture calls for an openness to allow the Bible to shape and transform my thoughts and my actions. Mm. I would say, make a final appeal to those listening on the importance of that idea. My appeal would be, let's always be students of the word. Let's always be men and women who are willing to learn from the word. Let's always be men and women who want to be transformed by the word. Uh, see, if, if, if I make my interpretation of scripture to be the norm, then I'm at the center and not the word of God. And I think we need to have that openness and the honesty when we approach the, the text humility. of God and the humility. And humility is something that I talk about in my uh, new book, yeah. uh, Living for God. It's one of the virtues. It's one of the virtues and because it's the opposite to being proud. The proud person doesn't need to learn. The proud person knows. Mm -hmm. But the humble person is willing to learn and acknowledge that he or she is not the measure of everything and that there is more beyond my own thinking mm -hmm. that might, uh, might help me to understand things. And so if we have that openness and willingness, I think then the Holy Spirit can really lead us into all truth because he sees that I'm willing to follow his, his lead in, mm -hmm. in the word. Uh, if he sees that I know it all, that there is even, there's not even a, a need to learn mm -hmm. anymore. And so um, only then I think God has an opportunity to, um, to use his word to change me mm -hmm. and even my thinking where it needs correction. Yeah. And that's a lifelong pro process and yeah. uh, an experience. And I think that's the beauty of the word that no matter how long you, you read it, my grandfather... You're always a student, right? You're always a student and you're always a learner. My grandfather has read the Bible more than 95 times. Wow. And he said every single time he... he and he would make a detailed lists how many words he found on this and that, you know. He says every time he reads it anew, he finds something that he had not seen before. And it's because he had that willing willingness and openness to learn from the word. And uh, that made it a life for him. And, and I think that makes the, the Bible so precious to us. And um, because then we don't want to live without it. Yeah, well, that's a good way to end right there. Be constant students of the word. It's not, there's no graduation. Not, not, not from not the Bible. Soon. <laughs> not from the Bible. Well, we thank you for being with us this morning. And I thank uh, Frank again for joining us. And we are looking forward to next week. Uh, we know that, that the uh, COVID-19 restrictions here in Maryland will be going at least through April 24. Uh, we anticipate probably longer, but at least through April 24th. 
And so for at least the next several weeks, you will be able to be here with Frank and I. And Frank, I've really appreciated uh, in this time of physical distancing, the ability to socially engage with you. Thank you for on, having me. On God's word. And remember again, folks, please, uh, your Bible, your quarterly, not just this, uh, we are humans, and, and I don't think you claim to be inspired, and I don't claim to be inspired. Uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, speaks to all of us, and we've prayed for that in this time. But we want God to speak to you as well, and so please take the time to study the Word for yourself, and to, as, as Frank just said, uh, to be a constant learner. Your grandfather, 95 times he's read through the Scriptures. One of my heroes, HMS Richards, you know, first read the Bible at 14 all the way through, and he said after that every year. Uh, for the rest of his life. And so uh, let's be students of the word like that and, and watch how the power of God's word um, doesn't just give us knowledge, but it transforms us and, and it helps us to fall more in love with Jesus and to look more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we thank you and we will see you next week. And thank you again, Frank. Thank you.